Life Audio. Hey, welcome to Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Senyard. Thanks so much for listening. You know, who benefits from this show, this new series? Do you feel that every time you try to do good to move forward in your Christian walk, you fall flat? Uh, you're kind of an underachiever spiritually. I mean, like Paul, what you want to do, you can't seem to just pull off. Uh, relationships are a bit of a mess. You've made bad choices. Emotional issues, past unforgivenesses, or maybe addictions are just killing you. Just, just a weight on your shoulders. You lack joy, peace, and faith. You feel more anxious and lonely. Uh, you're a bit of an embarrassment to yourself, right? You seem to argue more, pop off more. Listen, this is Paul's magnum opus on our ongoing human struggles. You're not alone. Galatians 5, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, I think part of the problem is we've been lulled to sleep because we've heard sermons on this so often. This is going to be very different. Nothing could be more on point, Christians, with what we need today. You are in the middle of a war. In fact, the war is in the middle of you. Maybe that explains some things. What you will hear and learn, you've probably never heard before in such relevant and modern terms. That's my, that's my hope. So this series, look, it could be life-changing. You are not going to be able to fix your problems by yourself. You need power to change. And that's the title of the series. And like I said, uh, in the first program, if the gospel can help addicts, particularly hardcore addicts, and it can, I, I can think I can prove that, think what it could do to the rest of us. Great news, but we have to start seeing and applying the gospel of God's love for the unlovely, the unloved, and the unlovable differently. <sighs> Problem, Paul calls it your flesh. We all have it. It's, it's at war against the spirit in us. Struggling Christian, you've chosen the strategy to cover up or dull the works of the flesh with human dope hits. Yeah, look, and it works in the moment, but it costs you dearly in the long run and you fall flat. There's another way that you can do things that works. It's a baby step, spiritual baby step, but the difference should be noticeable. It should feel noticeable. People should notice. So at the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you a simple tool that has a history of helping people like yourself, like me, who struggle, and in particular, addicts, and you can do it. No shame. And look, hey, if this helps... Give us a shout out. Let us know. Bill at gospel-app.com. I love dialoguing with you. Okay? Listen, we'll get started right after a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
We've all heard messages on the works of the flesh in Galatians before. I have preached on them many times in my 30 years of ministries. I've done entire conferences on them. And the emphasis typically from pulpits is, is here they are, stop doing them. <laughs> That's not what Paul is saying. And, and then, then we do the next sermon on the fruit of the Spirit. And so instead, do these. And again, it sounds right. It sounds so well-meaning, but it's very bad preaching and very bad theology. Uh, so here's the truth. What Paul is saying is, you're doing the flesh all the time. And that's why you needed a rescuer savior in the first place. And now that you're a child of God and the spirit is in your inner being, the main difference is that you still do the flesh, but now you can access an anti-flesh power, not yours, his, that will fight or war against the flesh. And the shifts should be dramatic. Do you see the difference between those two, two things? One is stop doing this and start doing this in your own strength. The other one is you're going to keep on doing this till heaven, but you can access the power of the Holy Spirit to, to fight against that. See the big difference. The shifts should be dramatic. Eugene Peterson says that Paul's list is a random and formless, like the actions themselves, but Paul rips the mask off propagandizing phrases like self-expression, freedom to be yourself, doing your own thing, and uncovers the deceptions that promise liberation but do not fulfill it. Sin never admits its true character. So here we are, Galatians 5, 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. All right, we'll talk about all of that. My point is that our tendency is to write all these off as attributes of really bad men and women. You know, the pagans, the drug dealers, the criminals, the, the porn folks, the perverts. But Paul doesn't call these acts of sinful people, right? He, he calls them, he doesn't call them acts of pagans who don't know Christ. This is the act of human sinful nature, all of us. Fallen humanity, even fallen humanity with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, right? We who are saved, you and me. Uh, this is an old film. You might want to check it out. I think you can find it on Netflix. It's a 2013 Matt Damon film. Yay, Matt Damon, called Elysium. It has a kind of a modern ring to it, even though it was 10 years ago. It has all of the immigration issues that we have. Well, here's a synopsis. In the year 2154, two classes of people exist uh, the very wealthy who live on the pristine man-made space station called Elysium, and the rest who live on an overpopulated, ruined, uh, devastated Earth. Well, Secretary Delacour, a government official, will stop at nothing to enforce anti-immigration laws and preserve the luxurious lifestyle of the citizens of Elysium. And that doesn't stop the people of Earth from trying to get in Elysium by any means they can. And so when unlucky Max is backed into a corner, he agrees to take on a mission that, if successful, will not only save his life, but could bring equality to these polarized worlds. Well, you know, it wasn't 
Academy Award winning film, but I liked its premise. I liked its goal. I thought it was very relevant. And, and as I thought more about it, I realized that it didn't really accomplish its objective, but the whole point was to highlight social barriers that exist, the haves and the have-nots. And if only we could get rid of the barriers, then it would only be utopia, <laughs> right? And in the end, Elysium is opened up to all humanity, but everyone, including Damon, are really flawed characters. Uh, they're each selfish and angry and cynical. So at the end, all that was done was to fill Elysium with more flawed people. <laughs> the good news is that one of the great understated benefits of our new creation, our salvation, our adoption, is that we are now, for the first time, equipped to wage hand-to-hand conflict with these selfish interests within us. And we have to do it daily. We have to do it hourly, second by second even. It's a war. And if we forget that, if we've been lulled to sleep that we're doing pretty well and we're saved and going to heaven anyway, we're, gonna, we're not going to blossom here. We're not going to experience, if you will, inherit the kingdom of God here. The battle cry has been heard. The Holy Spirit whether you are or not, the Holy Spirit in you is against your flesh and its desires. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the only equipped, objective, and powerful person enough to do anything with those things. You and I often walk around in denial. We think we're good Christians, right? Look, that's, we call that blind spots. You can't see them. That's why we call them blind spots. So, so let me put it in terms that we have been discussing, speaking to Christians now, and in particular, addicts. If the context of my growth and development of, is this mysterious embrace of the Trinity, if the air that I fly in is the Holy Spirit's active, powerful love and community where I finally reach my potential, where I actually feel like myself and feel joy, and, and right? These acts of the sinful nature outline the atmosphere where I die. So if I live in the atmosphere of the Spirit and His love and community, the, the sinful nature is, is the place, the context where I die. It's not just what I do, it's where I live. I shrivel up there, I lose personhood there, I become a mere thing. I need to become an addict there because I, I'm just jonesing for this. See, these things constrict the, the works of the flesh, constrict my ability to be loved, to know any intimacy with God, to experience the present value of the blood of Christ. It robs me of value, purpose, glory, name, peace, joy. It inflames all the, my potential of relapses because my longings go up. It hinders my cure. In other words, these define day-to-day life for most Americans like you and me, unaware. The battle lines from heaven's perspective are drawn. So in this show, we're going to look at four of the 15 ever-present, ever-explosive and, and boiling works of the sinful nature. You didn't get rid of them when you became a Christian, not at all. Matter of fact, I will argue they became worse because now they have an enemy, the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to cover these not in the order that Paul gives. I've taken the liberty to divide them up a bit differently. These are some of the harmful tendencies that dwell within my individual soul, my midbrain, we've been talking about, that remove me from community, that dry me up, that make me lonely, that uh, make me anxious. 
So hatred, selfish ambition, envy, and jealousy we'll look at first. And, and in the next show, we'll look at uh, the fruit of these in community and worship. All right. I guess I need to apologize because I'm going to get a little into the Greek. We're going to go a little biblical nerdy, uh, a little in the weeds, but I'm not going to lose you. Just hang in there. Uh, don't let the Greek words scare you. All right. First, hatred. It's number six in the list. The uh, NIV translates ekthrai as hatred. Normally, we think of hatred as a function of a specific object or action, like I hate it when, I hate so-and-so, I hate Brussels sprouts. I can't imagine. I, Brussels sprouts, what do you do? It's a, it's a vegetable that, that doesn't taste good. And so people add things on it and say, this is really good. I, I'm just thinking if you have to add so much stuff like bacon and chocolate and, uh, you know, switch vegetables. That's all I'm saying. All right. Anyway, that's me personally. Hope I didn't offend anybody on that rant. <laughs> this, le- this word is more of a generic hatred. It's kind of hate, a boiling hate, looking for an object. So it can attach to any object like a carrier, uh, like a leech. But it's an independent reality emotion, if you will. It's stealthily waiting deep in my nature, waiting for some prey, waiting for somebody to come bump into me or cut me off in traffic or hit me or, or abuse me or mock me or troll me. It's a fundamental enmity against God and creation, right? To label it even more harshly, I love this, Peterson calls it paranoid loneliness, so it's ever-present, though you and I struggle to deny it, because who wants to be called a paranoid, lonely person? Um, paranoid, lonely is, I'm feeling lonely. I think other people are out to get me, and what I do is I blame them. I hit them, get them to get angry, to hit me back, and so I justify my loneliness. Are you following me? Think about that a little bit. You'll, you'll track that. So this is the stuff within us that's a fear that everyone is out to get me. Everyone is a hidden enemy. The paranoid is skeptical and hesitant, guarded, protected, right? And at best, at worst, that, uh, that paranoid lonely could be suicide, ideation, prone. It could be resigned, resentful, and angry. The, the paranoid lonely can't love. Can, can the person be loved? No. You see the loneliness there and the paranoia working together, and the result is hatred of everything and hatred of themselves. But this is where God finds the paranoid lonely. By the way, that's all of us. Cain felt this at the very beginning of mankind. See, not only did he kill his brother in a hateful rage, but he was afraid of the curse of God, that he would be a wanderer, right? Do you hear the paranoid loneliness there? Because of all the others in the land. Hatred leading to a paranoid loneliness. Here's Cain in Genesis 4.13. My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. You see how he's blaming God. Uh, All he has to do is look up to God and repent, but he doesn't because he's got this this hatred, this paranoid loneliness. It's very self-centered. You know, they're out to get me. All who are inherently angry assume that others are also angry at them. That justifies their anger. All Cain had to do was look up into God's gracious face to see God's love. For he's for them. He's for him. God's not paranoid, lonely. He pursues enemies. That's all there is, right? 
All Cain had to do was to repent, admit his need, and receive God's forgiveness. But a paranoid, lonely person cannot. Uh, Their flesh. Only the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are the enemy of paranoid loneliness. God doesn't X-ray. Thank God. God has every reason in the world to X-ray, but he doesn't. I mean, I've betrayed him again and again and again. He has every reason in the world to hate me, to be suspicious of me and my faith, you know, and my uh, uh, responsibility. Yet, he was willing to become so vulnerable, right? Jesus, the incarnation of the cross, he sent his son to tell us his deepest, his deepest feelings towards us to invite us to repent, to receive justice paid, forgiveness and healing, right? Remember Cain? And we did the same thing. We brutally murdered his son in a rage, in paranoid loneliness. He has more reasons than we could ever have to store up ekthri, but he feels only love towards we who are his children. No hesitancy, no residual ekthri. In fact, the gospel states that Jesus is Jesus willingly took all of God's just hatred towards me, do my sin, and endured it all. It was all put on him. So now I can see how God could not be hateful towards me anymore through Christ by faith. God was perfectly vulnerable to me through his spirit, who is pleased to dwell in the ekthry stench of my cesspool heart. The spirit in me, in us, is the end, eventually, to hatred and paranoid loneliness again and again and again and again. And in its place, the alien anti-ekthri love for people who deserve to be hated. It's unconditional love in the biggest sense because the condition was paid. Uh, It was not unconditional by nature. It is conditional. It's just paid. Now it's unconditional. So, And that's the love that is now pouring through my veins because of the Holy Spirit. Right? Number two, selfish ambition, erythiae. Uh, it's an impotence, Peterson says, to love or be loved. See, I, I really like how Peterson unpacks this. Selfish ambition sounds so generic, but impotence to love and be loved? Man, now we're talking about something I get. It's base self seeking, so think closed off, looking inward, likely selfish ambition that tends to be divisive. Uh, gives rise to rival factions and strife. So I'm going to be ambitious. That means it's me against you. Here's Peterson. Selfishness cuts the legitimacy of personal need adrift from the continental necessities of social concern and abandons it to insularity. Oh, my goodness. So the selfish ambition is the core power source for all of our selfishness. This power is always at work within us. Hear that, please. It's a scale 0 to 10. Yours may be 2 today, but it's going to be 6 tomorrow. The power is always at work within us. And it's the opposite of the the scale of the power of love, which is other-oriented. This is me-oriented and my success. Love is your success. Love is by nature concerned with the well-being and interest of others. Love is community-minded by nature. Selfish ambition is concerned with me, over you. Oh, sure, I, I want you to do well, but I want me to do better. And you can see how that insulates me and you. It polarizes us. Welcome to the United States. So, but wait a second, Pastor Bill, aren't we supposed to love ourselves? Yeah, of course. But 
This is the extreme of that. We're supposed to love ourselves and others. We're to consider others' well-being over our own, even. So Peterson's correct. The results of this uh, flesh is insularity. I'm closing myself off. I'm living in a a lonely, increasingly anxious bubble. The selfish ambitions must be on guard against others who are also selfishly ambitious. So there's no peace. There's always this conflict and maybe some paranoia too. No satisfaction because I never get there. The battle continues. No joy. It's, it feels like independence and, and uh, self-sufficiency, maybe perfectionism as well, competitiveness. There's no love going in or out of that bubble. No personal growth, not really. It's wearying. And remember from, from last time, we flourish in a community where there is powerful other oriented love, where people freely give and receive. We die alone, little by little. And have I mentioned that loneliness numbers are sky high in the world? Um, tracking the opioid crisis? The gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit is the only effective weapon against this, this flesh, this work of the flesh. Jesus lived out of Erethiae's natural predator, you know, his love. He willingly laid aside his rightful ambition, right? After all, it was his throne that he descended from. He didn't have to. He was innately not selfishly ambitious. It's amazing. We have his spirit. We can tap into that. I'm not going to tell you to just do it like Jesus did. Let's do what Jesus did. No, no, I'm going to say access his, his spirit. And then you'll begin to do what he did. Now he's for us. He's ambitious towards us. I need to keep moving here. Envy, thonos. It's a vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Eugene Peterson again. All right, let me unpack this. We're created with glorious differences. Who can't appreciate the wonder of the differences within the species, the races, the sexes? I mean, viva la difference. God is a remarkably creative God who has woven into our fiber an appreciation for diversity in unity. But this thonos has twisted the glory of diversity into threats. If you're different, you're a threat. That's, that's this work of the flesh. It's not reasonable. It's what happens within all of us. I mean, look at racism all over the, all over the world. Look at all the other isms. It's thonos inflaming this. Love... On the other hand, the love of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, it appreciates objects as they stand, as they are. Love appreciates objects, including their diversity, without the need to devour or compare or tear down. Thonos can only see rival elements, threatening elements, bigotry, prejudice, self-righteousness, factions, caste. Elysium and earth were both riddled, both riddled with such thonos. Here's Matthew 27, 18. For he knew it was out of envy, that's thonos, that they handed Jesus over to him. Thonos. It was the work of the flesh that empowered people like you and me to want to crucify Jesus. He was that different. I mean, there are other reasons, but part of it was that. He could not be appreciated. Even his good works couldn't be appreciated because his good works made me look bad. Well, who could not see, I mean, from the distance, who could not see the attractiveness of Jesus? Hurting people did, sinners did, prostitutes did, uh, demon-possessed did. He was giving, loving, healing, humorous, wonderfully human, and yet far, far more than that, he was a leader and teacher and counselor. Who couldn't wonder at this, his person? Well, 
But to the Thonos, they, to them, he was a threat. He was a rival. I love the chosen, the way they portrayed Jesus. Um, but believe me, there were people there who, who just were riddled with Thonos. So Thonos is at enmity with the very core of love. Love must appreciate the other as the other without the need to compare. I cannot love until I also am aware of my own value, my own worth. So the key to that is to hear and know the gospel again, right? The simple and cluttered gospel, I'm going to say it again at the end of this, to to be reminded I have to ask God to give me power so that my midbrain actually shifts and grasps this, that God loves me perfectly and totally as I am, all the differences, all the uniqueness, the good and the bad. This is the result of the cross. God loves me as much as he loves his own son. He doesn't love anything else that I do, but he loves me. Thonos is not an attribute of God. Just isn't. He exists in a beautiful community, a diverse community that's also common, uh, unified. Uh, Three persons, one God, perfect love and unity and substance, complete unity in the midst of great diversity, perfect mutual appreciation and love, no Thonos. That's his desire for us. That's the air we thrive in. We just haven't lived in yet. That's going to be heaven. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit's love, we can see a diminishment of Thonos now, and it should be noticeable. Right? This is why he died, ultimately. Not only that I could have a substitute for my sin, my shortcomings, my ungodliness, my self-centeredness, my paranoia, but that I would also become ultimately one with him. All Thonos gone, washed by the blood of the Lamb. And that takes real power to accomplish, not just at the cross, not just when I was saved, but daily. I can't just merely choose from my prefrontal cortex to not Thonos. Good luck with that. All right. It's a good place for a break to hear from our sponsors. We will be right back. Number four, jealousy. Zealous. Peterson says it's an all-consuming yet never satisfied want. Oh my goodness, does this sound like an addiction or what? An all-consuming yet never satisfied want. Here's commentator Fung. It is a self-centered zeal which resents the good which another enjoys but is denied to oneself. A bitter jealousy. So this is a wanting of anything in a disappropriate manner. Wanting of anything in a disappropriate manner. Manner. It's not bad to want good things, but to want it disappropriately. And when this occurs, you become its slave. You're no longer free. And again, this is an enemy to God's love because God's love just gives to others. Jesus gives, the Spirit gives, and we can access that, that power and that motivation. Jealousy does not. Jealousy cannot love. Love appreciates the object for its own merits, not for anything it can give me, do for me, add to me, not on the basis of my need for that object or anything that the object has. But to be zealous is to be looking for filling in all the wrong places with all the wrong motives. When we are jealous, we are portraying the fact that we are empty in some way. Uh, God's not satisfactory. So we're empty and we're finding our identity in something else. Not God. You can be jealous for God to to fill you, but jealous for everything else. And that would include medications. That would include pornography. That would include uh, actions such as gambling and and, uh, needing approval of others, all of those things. We know that when we do this, we've entered a path of great paradox. Though I may in my zeal get this 
immediate object of my desire, it will never satisfy my deepest longings. Addict, we get this, right? <laughs> a Christian, you get this, right? You might get a hit, but those deeper longings, the, the troubles, the, the pain that I'm trying to cover, not satisfied. Zealous is an all-consuming, yet never satisfied want. Well, the gospel, the power of the gospel, proclaims that all the fullness of the heavenlies, all the love, all the wonders of the Son dwells in me through the Holy Spirit. My inheritance is majestic. And I have it all, or access to it all. The very name of God, Yahweh, refers to the fact that he is the I am. He is the all-sufficient, all I could ever need. Well, addict, do you connect with any of these tendencies? Christians who want to grow, do you connect with these tendencies? Christians who who feel like you're, you're falling short, your spiritual life is just on a tailspin, do you connect with any of these tendencies of your flesh? They are there, 0 to 10. It might be a 2 or 3 or 4 or it might be a 6, 7, 8. It's there. And maybe you've just denied them or justified them. Maybe you feel like you're better than everybody else, so that's okay. Maybe you've blame-shifted. You blame your parents. You blame this person who hurt you. You blame your context. Maybe you just apologize and, and try harder. Good luck with that. Maybe you just argue that this is a family trait. <laughs> yeah, it is. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Maybe you just hope that as you mature, as a Christian, you go to church week after week, you're going to see less and less of your flesh. Oh, my gosh, that's not true. Have you seen churches recently? Maybe you self-medicate, right? Look, if, if any of those are true, you're not alone. We're in a war. So back one last time to the movie Elysium. These four works of the flesh were clearly evident in abundance in Elysium, right? The, the good place. But also on earth, the heroic actions of Matt Damon notwithstanding, nothing he did changed that. It's a secular misunderstanding of the powers that drive humanity. See, if we can only just make things equal, everything is going to be better. But the problem is, everybody's got the same works of the flesh. You just get everybody together in the same room, and without the power of God, boom, not good. Changing context is not going to change our hearts and our desires or inner powers. It doesn't work that way. The good news is that there is indeed a power to change. There is a P2C. Counselors can help you identify the deeper issues, envy, jealousy, hatred, paranoid, loneliness. But just try to change them on your own. What power are you going to use? Your prefrontal cortex is impotent. It doesn't have the power. So who, who is objective at this level anyway? How are you going to objectively change yourself when yourself is the problem? You see the circle? Even when you think that you're successful, you wake up tomorrow. See, these are not merely, merely a list of behaviors that need to be governed and disciplined that you need to change day by day by an act of the will. Can't you see now that freedom to be yourself <laughs> It's not necessarily a good thing. It actually could be pretty dangerous. Self-expression can actually be very destructive and harmful. Secondly, you cannot grow in this atmosphere. You cannot achieve the purpose for which you were created with the flesh. You need the fruit of the Spirit. That's where we've been designed to grow. The oxygen is too thin in the realm of the flesh. You become more insulated, more alone, more independent in a bad way, more antagonistic, more competitive. These tendencies that are not only sinful, they're personally harmful 
By the way, so many of these things we consider the American way. I'm just saying it's not alone to us. We just seem to make it our motto. And this competitive stuff, this stuff of the flesh, sucks life out of the person and out of community. The entire community suffers. Well, so what do you think? Struggling child of God. Particularly you addicts out there are calling our charges to fight for the freedom which Christ has purchased for us. But we don't just do it by trying harder not to hate or be envious, etc. Because that's not going to work, right? You've tried. I'm not asking you to do that. No shame here. I'm not going to say, so now that you know, do harder? No, I'm telling you, you can't, right? Your flesh is too powerful. But there's another power that you can access. But you have to admit you need it. Our goal is more and more humbly to see that we are impotent against these internal tendencies. But the Holy Spirit is more than sufficient. All right, let me speak directly to addicts for a second. But everyone else, I mean, all of this will benefit you too. Step four in AA is to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Uh, Listen, yeah, but your midbrain, your flesh is going to fight against you doing that over and over and over. And I'm sure you felt it. So first steps one to three. We admitted we were powerless over our addiction and might as well add works of the flesh that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's the Holy Spirit and that's on a day-to-day basis. Three, make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him. Yeah, meaning Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The key is this. What do you mean about decision to turn your will and lives over to the care of God? You've thought about that, right? It's like, yeah, that makes sense, but what does that look like? What muscle group? Do I go to a health club to work out that muscle? Your prefrontal cortex is, is eventually willing, right, addict and, and Christian, but your midbrain is entrenched in this status quo and hunkered down and saying, hell no. Well, you need an operation done in your midbrain, and only God the Spirit can do it, and He is in your inner being. You have to ask for help. I don't don't know why we Christians find that so hard to do, but we do. Listen to Paul. For this reason, what reason? Well, I can't do it. I can't choose by my will to trust God. I need God's power. I need God's trust and faithfulness, His transforming salvation. I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, uh, Ephesians, but also me, with his power through his spirit in your inner being, in my inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart, my heart, through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that's his love, may have power. That's his power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, his love that surpasses knowledge, that's your knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, meaning he can, you can't, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians three fourteen to 21. So God, I need help. I need you to expose you, expose the harmful tendencies, rip them out by the roots one at a time and fill that space with your fruit. The only tool, the gospel, the only power, the Holy Spirit. No shame. 
No shame in this process. Your midbrain will not lead the fight. It will fight against you every step of the way. Don't you see that? Yeah, doesn't that? Isn't that part of your testimony? You need power. How to get it? Ask God for his. It's so simple. So this is for addicts, and we're all addicts, but there's, this is also generic for all Christians because we all struggle. We all have the flesh. We all have that in common. So there is a generic, simple, and cluttered gospel available for the website in bookmark form. Check it out. Get it. Get a bunch of the bookmarks. Put them all over. Give them to your family and friends, and it's essentially the same. But this is the one that I created for addicts. So, so everybody, just please listen. And it's the same. You get, you'll get it. Jesus follower addict or underachieving Christian who can't seem to stop doing harmful things. Strictly because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago for you, God actually loves you. He loves you with all of his heart as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. He loves you as you are. Addict, uh, failing Christian, underachieving Christian, not as you should be or could be. This is true whether you shake your addictions or not. You can't add to this love or take away from it. Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? It's so simple. Such good news. There is something that you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you, not help you, make you know, experience and feel just how much God loves you Right now, just ask. Ask again later today. Ask tomorrow. Make it a spiritual habit. Well, are you noticing any changes? Even as I'm reading that, this is the power of the gospel. Preach to that that entrenched, uh, stubborn midbrain. Maybe experiencing something, a little something. Are you feeling a little less stressed, a little more loved by God, a little more lovable, a a little more hopeful? Are you are you kind of thinking that? Oh my gosh, for a minute I didn't think about self-medicating. Uh, Are you smiling a little bit more? (laughs) Go with it. Say the simple uncluttered gospel twice a day for 45 days. Aloud, word for word. We're we're working with in the habitual area, so we need to do this habitually. It's it's worth doing. Um, Okay, and let us know what's happening, right? Uh, Keep... Let us keep in track with you for 45 days. Bill at gospel-app.com. Love to track your progress. Twice a day. And if you miss a day, that's fine. Pick it up. During the day, if you're struggling, say it again. Do three, do four, do five times. And again, you can get this in bookmark form from gospelrant.com or gospel-app.com. Get a bunch of them. Put them all over your house. Give them to your 12-step group, your church, your community group. They will thank you. Take heart, child of God. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.